We're going to be in the book of Leviticus, as usual. Chapter 19. Before you go there, uh, I'm going to read a verse to you by way of explanation this morning. I know many of you know this, but I want you to hear it again. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. I uh, started out this week in processing and thinking about this message, and actually I've known I was going to talk about this for about two or three weeks now, because of some verses that have just kind of stuck out as we've gone through this last little section of Leviticus. They stuck out and kind of bothered me and, and made me pause, and I thought, okay, well, we need to talk about that. And, and at first I thought it was just by way of answering a question. I'm just going to answer a question. We'll read the verse. We'll see what the Bible has to say. We'll answer a question. It is so much more than that. And as often is the case, I didn't even realize this until just yesterday, how much more this study is, this message, this talk, is than just a question. There is a spiritual reality that especially Christians tend to be numb to, tend to be unaware of. And so we go into life and we face struggles and challenges and battles and we can't get through them. And we wonder why we're depressed or why we're down or why we're hurting or why things just don't seem to be going the way we wish they could go. And it's because of this lack of awareness of the true reality of this place in which we live. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but Ephesians chapter 4 tells us why we're here this morning explains it very clearly to us. Paul writes, He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Why, Paul? For the equipping of the saints. For the work of service. To the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man. Who, to the measure of the statue, uh, stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Paul says there is something bigger going on than worship service, than Sunday service. There's something bigger going on today than just showing up at church. Something so much bigger than the Bridge Christian Fellowship. Bigger than churches in this region. Bigger than churches throughout the world. There is kingdom stuff going on and the Lord wants us to be aware. To see these things. To hear these things. And to know what His agenda is in this world which is not half as physical as we think it is. We get really hung up on the physical things of the world. The physical struggles and challenges. And I'm not just talking about our bodies. I'm just talking about our awareness. And we miss the most important thing going on here. And that's the spiritual and the eternal. I'll tell you what, there's not going to be a person in eternity who even gives a a, a lick about what you have for lunch today. There's nobody who's going to be walking in eternity with Jesus who is even going to remember this life. Did you know that? God says, I'm making all things new. The former things aren't even going to come to mind anymore. Why? Because it's going to be so awesome, you're you're not even going to think about it. Past days, I remember a time when Cheryl and I were in college. We went in to take a Greek test. And as we sat down to take the Greek test, Cheryl, who was a better student than I was, and was really prepared for this test, went blank. No idea. She's looking at the test. She knew the answer. She taught me. And she's sitting there going... You know? And the tears came. And the teacher just kind of came over and, and she walked up and well, he, he said, what's the matter? And she said, I can't remember. I know this stuff. I know. I just can't remember. And she was really freaked out. And he said, hey, no, no worries. Just come back to my office and take it later. I had to take the test. 
but she goes out of the room and I came out later and, and as we talked together and we talked with our Greek teacher who was the same person who married us not that that matters but you know it's a little thing um, he said to us something that I haven't forgotten since then he said you know 10 years from now you're not even going to remember this test I barely remember any Greek as it is 10 years from now this test this moment that is so traumatic and so horrible for you it's not even going to be in your mind it's not going to come to mind until your stupid husband uses it as a sermon example then you'll remember but you're not going to think about it and gang there is so much that we stress over and worry about day in and day out in this world we're not even going to think about which is why Jesus says over and over seek the kingdom you seek first the kingdom all these other things God knows you need them they'll be added to I'll take care of that trust me let me be the dad you just focus on the kingdom hey there's something big going on here walking down this morning I was thinking the bridge you know we got new chairs yippee yahoo and so there's a little more room for a few more people and they get filled up and the barn's filled up and, and traditional pastoral thinking is we're growing that's good this is what it's all about this is not what it's all about Growing the Bridge Christian Fellowship in terms of numbers of people is not what it's all about. It will never be what it's all about. There is something else going on here that is huge. Can you think in terms of the state? Can you think in terms of the nation? Can you think in terms of nations, plural? Literally God moving out of this silly little barn into the world. Can you imagine that? God can. He has. Which is why he continues to say, seek first the kingdom. That's what matters. You seek my kingdom, I'll take care of the rest, and we miss it, and we don't get it. Well, go back to Leviticus chapter 19, and verse 30. And I hope you're comfortable in those soft chairs, because we may be here a while today. (laughs) Those of you on the side, I'm sorry. Hard metal, brown things. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 30. God says, you shall keep my Sabbaths and revere my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or spiritists. Do not seek them out to be defiled by them. I am the Lord, your God. Skip over to chapter 20, verse 6. As for the person who turns to mediums and to spiritists to play the harlot after them, I will also set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people skip down to verse 27 now a man or a woman who is a medium or a spiritist shall surely be put to death they shall be stoned with stones their blood guiltiness is upon them back in the book of Exodus chapter 22 verse 18 God said these words he said you shall not allow a sorceress to live I think God's serious about this. Flip over to the book of Deuteronomy, a couple books further down the line. Deuteronomy chapter 18. And verse 9. Deuteronomy 18, verse 9. Flip those Bibles, stick with me, watch this stuff. There's several verses you've got to see for your own eyes, with your own eyes this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9. God says, When you enter the land in which the Lord your God gives you, When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. 
There shall not be among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, as we talked about Molech, that idol that the children were burned on the idol of Molech. You shall not make your son or daughter pass through the fire. One who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls upon the dead. Verse 12, For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For those nations which you shall dispossess, listen to those who practice witchcraft and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. God made the prohibition and the punishment for sorcery painfully clear to the children of Israel. If you do these things, if you practice these things, if you chase after those who do, you deserve death. That's it. That's the bottom line. And you say, well, that's an Old Testament thing. Thank goodness for grace. Thank goodness we're in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 says, The cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Witchcraft, divination, spiritism, calling up the dead, which is what spiritism specifically is. Things which today we call the occult are declared detestable to God. Now why is that? Is that because God, when he was creating the world, sat back and came up with an arbitrary list of things that would be good and things that would be bad? Things that he would punish his creation for and things that he would be pleased with his creation for. Was it just God saying off the wall, well, I don't really want him to do the witchy thing, so we'll just say that's bad. Or is there more to it? Is there really something to this divine dismay, his concern over these things? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 tells us, The Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith. How? Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. The fourth installment of the Harry Potter series is coming out in a couple weeks, three weeks or so. All lining up to go see that movie. Of course, Christians along with everybody else stormed the bookstores to buy book six of the Harry Potter series. And what's interesting is there, there's a, a great deal of uh, confusion in Christianity as to how to relate to Harry Potter. Let me just encourage you, if you are in that confused group, to pick up a book by Connie Neal called What's a Christian to Do with Harry Potter? It's a great title. <laughs> and it's an excellent book. And it's a very balanced book. What's a Christian to do with all this stuff? Let me tell you something. A Christian is not to get hung up about it either way. It's not not the the point. It's a distraction. I'm not going to stand up here and preach against Harry Potter. He's had enough trouble in his life. (laughs) What I am going to tell you is this morning what we need to talk about is so much bigger than a book. Listen to this. In, In the book Fast Facts on False Teachings, which is another one that would be great to have in your library. Fast Facts on False Teachings by Carlson and Decker. They write the following. Some 50 to 60 million Americans are involved in some form of the occult today. That with 85 to 90% of Americans saying they believe in God. 
but 50 to 60 million are involved in the occult in some form. Over 50 million Americans read their horoscopes every morning, which is easy because it's found in virtually every newspaper across the country. People are involved with fortune telling, tarot cards, palm reading, numerology. People openly engage in witchcraft, Satanism, spiritism, and New Age channeling, although there's nothing new about it. Hollywood loves the occult, doesn't it? And did you know that 75%, parents are going to love this, 75% of cartoons on television today are occultish, or of an occultic nature. 75%, which means three out of four cartoons your kids are watching are about the occult. And we're concerned about Harry Potter? When all this is going on, how do we as Christians, not under law, but under grace, deal with these things? Again, there's something much bigger at stake here than a book series. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Again, we don't come together to get our ears tickled on a Sunday morning. We come together to get equipped to deal with spiritual things in a spiritual reality. And as physical as we may be, and as sometimes as confusing and difficult as dealing with the the spiritual realm can be, God says, I want you to know these things. I want you to be aware. I want you to be clear. I want you to learn to discern. Learn to discern what is of me and what is not of me. Yeah, but spirits and all. Come on, Rick. Isn't it just a bunch of hocus pocus? Not according to the Lord. Who says in Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so you'll be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. The Lord wants you to learn to discern. Husbands and wives, man, you get in a big argument, you know what's going on? Uh, Somewhere, there's a demon having a great day. Because you're fighting. You're making bad life decisions. Somewhere, there is, in the spirit realm, there is a demon pleased that life is not going well for you. And when life is going perfect, so well that you think, hey, I don't really need God, there's a demon going right on. That's good. With discernment in mind, think about this question. It's the original question I asked. Is there more to the Lord's divine dismay than arbitrary judgment? What is God's concern? Why is He so obviously concerned with the occult and with spiritism? I'm going to give you three reasons this morning. And number one is spiritism incurs defilement. Spiritism incurs or causes defilement. Defilement, by the way, as a word, it's very simply defined as the opposite of holiness. Spiritism, that is calling up the dead or seeking after these things or getting involved in anything which is occultish. You might say, oh, I'd never do the occult as you're reading your horoscope. Gang, it's all the same stuff. I hope to make that clear this morning. But spiritism, following after these things, listening to any, any spiritual advice other than that which Jesus gives you, incurs, brings about, causes defilement. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Paul said, Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The primary reason, gang, that God wants me to be holy because He is holy is that if I'm not holy, I can't be where He is. And He wants me to be where He is. 
He wants you to be where He is. Is it a stunning thought that maybe God wants you to go to heaven? That maybe it's not the other way around, that He's making it hard, that He's setting up an obstacle course? We were in here yesterday. Here comes my buddy. Hayden was setting up an obstacle course. We were getting these chairs out, and there were all kinds of boxes. And he had an obstacle course. It was really cool. You know, he's going through it, and he's hiding out, and it's a great time. People look at the Lord that way. They say it's an obstacle course. <laughs> he wants to make it hard and challenging so that we have to kind of work our way to figure out, and, oh, maybe we make it and maybe we don't. God's going, no, I want you to be where I am. I have done everything you need to get you to where I am. But spiritism, chasing after other voices, listening to other speakers, incurs defilement. Flip in your Bibles now to the book of Isaiah. It's right in the middle. I'll let your Bible fall open in the middle. Isaiah chapter 47. Isaiah 47 and verse 12. Isaiah 47, 12. The Lord says, Stand fast now in your cells and in your many sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. You see, by the time Isaiah was writing, Israel had gone way, way out. Israel was totally chasing after other spirits, other gods, listening to other voices than the Lord. So at this point, God is saying, Stand fast in your cells and in your many sorceries which you have labored from your youth, perhaps you will be able to profit. Perhaps you may cause trembling. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let now the astrologers, those who prophesy by the stars. How many of you know what your astrological sign is? Just raise your hand. You know what your astrological sign is. Can I ask you a question? I do too, by the way. Why do we know that? Because it's there? Everybody knows. Why? What's the big deal? What does it have to do with anything? According to God, <laughs> this is not truth, gang. Oh, oh well, I don't, I don't know, Rick. I mean, I know my sign, and I know what they say about my sign. And that's me. It's me. I'm telling you, it's me. Come on, guys. Who are we listening to? He says, no, it's all right. You are, uh, let's see, maybe you'll be able to profit. You're worried. Let now the astrologers, those who prophesy by the stars, those who predict by the new moons, let them stand up and save you from what will come upon you. How many people on the day when Jesus comes blasting back into the world in his glorious return are going to be grabbing for newspapers going, wait a minute, what does my sign say about today? <laughs> you know, there's, there's a, a bit of tongue-in-cheek here in the way God is speaking, but there is a serious and deadly and danger, dangerous warning when he says, stand up, let those who do this, let them stand up and save you. Because they can't. They can't. Behold, verse 14, they have become like stubble. <laughs> fire burns them. It does. You ever toss a newspaper in the fire? That's what it does. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There will be no coal to warm by, nor a fire to sit by. So have, have those become to you with you whom you have trafficked with you sorry, let me get this verse again. So have those become to you with whom you have labored, who have trafficked with you from your youth. Each has wandered in his own way. There is none to save you. Oh, you can check your sign if you want to go down that road. But it's not going to save you. It's not going to do anything for you. If, if, if you ever do that, I'm going to check and see how today is supposed to go. Man, you are not listening to the Spirit of God. But you are listening. Listen to me. You are listening to another spirit. 
You are. Spiritism, sorcery, astrology, these things incur defilement which lead us to one final destination, a hellish destination. It's the only place where these things lead. It's interesting, at the cross, at the cross, the Jewish leaders and even one of the criminals shouted out to Jesus. They're making fun of him and they say, save yourself, Jesus, and while you're at it, save us with you. Ha ha! Which is exactly what he was doing. The one thief said, save yourself! And as long as you're doing it, save us too. And the thief on the other side says, what are you doing? What are you talking about? What's the matter with you? Don't you know this guy's innocent? And he says to Jesus, forgive me. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus was in the act of saving. The only one who can save. The only one who could save. Again. God wants us to remain undefiled so that we can be with Him. Jesus died so that we could be made perfect in spite of ourselves. His blood to save us. And I can't provide that salvation. And no occultic connection of any kind can provide it. But the Bible says the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1.7 Spiritism. It incurs defilement. Secondly, spiritism invites deception. And this is a place you've got to tune in and listen closely. And people get so impressed when a psychic tells them something that only they and their dearly departed spouse or brother, sister, or aunt would know. Someone will go to a psychic and, and they'll ask, okay, well, well is, this my, is this my mother here in the psychic? You know, is rocking around, yeah, this is your mother and she, wants, she has a message for you, something that only the two of you know. And they'll say it. And the person will be sitting there will be blown away because what the psychic says is, is true. That there's only, they'll say something, they'll speak something sometimes, that only the person and their dead relative know. But that's not quite true. There's someone else who knows what was shared between you and that relative when they were alive, and that's a demon. And when a psychic channels to get answers, they are channeling, the Bible is clear, demons. You don't channel the spirit of someone who's gone on before you. Jesus gives the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And in that parable he says they're, they're in Hades. There's a gulf between them. There's a paradise side. There's a torment side. And the guy on the torment side, Hey, Abraham, please send, send Lazarus back up at least to warn my brothers. And, Jesus, and, and Abraham says he can't go. Besides, they have Moses and the prophets to go to. To tell them the truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 14 tells us the following Satan disguises himself as an angel of light therefore it's not surprising if his servant if his servants demons also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds the only thing spiritism can do that is chasing after psychics checking the horoscope reading a palm tarot cards any of this stuff the only thing it can do is invite deception and I'm going to give you an example and it may upset some people if you come from a Catholic background please understand I'm not in the business of attacking Catholicism but there's a miracle that's talked about, actually several in, in Catholic history. But one occurred supposedly in 1858 in France. A poor young star frozen girl named Bernadette Subarus. I don't know what Subaru, if she drove a Subaru, no. <laughs> Bernadette Subarus claimed to see an apparition of Mary 
in a grotto at Lourdes. You may have heard of the miracle of Lourdes. Originally, the uh, grotto there at, at Lourdes was a pigsty. It was kind of a, a rocky cave, and the pigs would huddle there in storms and in the rain, and there was garbage there, and it wasn't a, a clean spot. Bernadette and her uh, two other little girls went out looking uh, for firewood. Her family got to the point where they were so impoverished that they needed money for food, so they sold the last of their firewood. So Bernadette, she finally talks her parents into it. She's 14 years old, and her and her two little friends, I believe one was her cousin, they go out just searching for firewood, and they come to this river and to this grotto. And in this grotto, Bernadette has the first of several visions of an apparition of a lady in white. She goes back and she tells her parents about it, and and she doesn't understand it. And since that time... The miracle of the wards has turned into, it's a site visited by millions annually. People who go there to see if they can see the lady in white. To see if they can have this experience of this apparition. People going there to be healed. And according to the Catholic Church, healings have taken place there. A lot of false healings have gone on too. But they believe that there's some legitimacy to this. And if you ask me, it's all deception. It's all deception. I spent some time this week looking into this. There are several things that happened in these visions that Bernadette, um, that she related. And by the way, by the way, I don't believe that Bernadette didn't see something there. I think she probably did. But I don't think it's who she thought it was. And even if it was who she thought it was, there's still a problem. This apparition called herself, when Bernadette asked her name, called herself Quesoy Era Immaculata Conceptio. I am the Immaculate Conception. So immediately, and Bernadette, who was illiterate and important and not real well versed in this, told her priest, and the priest said, Oh, it's Mary! It's Mary, the Immaculate Conception, speaking of the divinity of Mary, which came, the Bible never speaks of. The Bible doesn't tell us that Mary was ever divine. Again, I understand if you're of a Catholic background, that is very problematic for you. But if you will read Scripture and if you will test it against the Bible, you don't have to have arguments with me. Show me where Mary was ever considered divine. As a matter of fact, the last recorded words of Mary, those of you who were at the Revelation study last week know this, John chapter 2, the last recorded words that we have of her spoken on the earth, she referred to Jesus and she said, whatever he says, listen to him. Whatever he tells you to do, pay attention to that. So if this apparition says, I am the Immaculate Conception, already there's a problem. Secondly, the the apparition called for penance. 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 You've got to pay your penance. What happened to grace? What happened to, as Jim shared this morning, it is finished? What happened to the scriptural uh, passages that talk about once and for all, Jesus died. That was it. That was all that was needed. You can't add to God's grace. You cannot take away from it. And yet the apparition said penance. Again, I understand this is a very strong Catholic belief that you pay penance. You've got to pay for your sins. Gang, let me free you up on that one. Jesus paid for my sins. And I don't care how many times I pay. I don't care how much I pull out my wallet and try to, try to make up for things I've done wrong. There is no way I can ever meet God's righteous standard without the blood of Jesus. That's it. But this apparition is calling for penance. Penance. 
Also, the lady commanded a chapel to be built there at Lourdes. Who was the chapel built for? Well, when people go there, they're not seeking Jesus. They're seeking the apparition. And then, it's deception. It's deception. 1 John chapter 4, verse 2 tells us, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit who confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And we're not talking about believing in Jesus, by the way. The Bible says the demons believe and shudder. We're talking about confessing Jesus as Lord. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit. Put on your seatbelts. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. Paul or John writes that any spirit who does not confess Jesus as the Lord. But claims power that's held by Christ alone. Any spirit is spirit of Antichrist and invites deception. And we walk in a world that is amazingly deceived. Ultimately, by the way, demonic deception will be Antichrist's primary tool in the tribulation, in the last days of this planet. He will use deception to a dramatic degree. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, speaking of Antichrist, says, His coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. And with, listen to this, with all power and signs. He will have power. He will produce signs. All power and signs and false wonders. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And the truth, the truth is what saves us. Not all of this spiritual deception that our planet, that our world, that our country is so rife with today. Now, I hesitate to go here, but I will. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. Chapter 28. There's a can of worms story here. It's raised all kinds of debate. A ghost story in scripture, if you will. story about a witch in a place called Endor. And I'm not talking about a planet with fuzzy creatures. The witch of Endor. 1 Samuel chapter 28. I want to read through this story quickly and make a couple comments about it so we understand how this deception works. 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 1. Now it came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their, uh, gathered their armed camps for war to fight against Israel. Let's skip ahead to, to verse 3. Now Samuel was dead. A little background. Samuel was the prophet to Israel at the time. Okay? Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. It was one of the good things, actually, that, that, Paul, that, that Saul, sorry, that Saul, King Saul, did was the removal of mediums and spiritists from the land. Verse four. So the Philistines gathered together and came and camped in Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel together and they camped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was greatly afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams, or by Urim, or by prophets. Well, then Saul said to his servants, Guys, seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there's a woman who is a medium at Endor. Now this is very interesting to me. Because Saul had cleared the land of mediums and spiritists and yet his servants knew exactly where to find one. 
And Saul himself is now asking to see one, to talk to a medium, to get together with a witch to find out what's going on. Wait a minute, that's inconsistent, Saul. You just cleared the land of mediums and spiritists, and now you want to go see one? And it's exactly what so many of us do with sin. The very thing that Saul had tried to clean out was his own issue, his own problem. He was trying to get rid of it, but as soon as things got difficult, he ran to it to get some answers. We tend to be hardest on the very things that haunt our own lives, don't we? That tends to be where I'm most judgmental, is when people are doing the things that I struggle with. It's easier to judge them than to deal with me. Well, verse 8 going on, Then Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes. And he went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. Let's have a little seance here. But the woman said to him, Behold, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? Saul vowed to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Saul's a believer. Okay? And he's still doing this. Verse 11, Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. Now watch this. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out, literally shrieked. Witches do that well, I guess. She shrieked with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid, but what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, What is this form? She said, An old man is coming up and he is wrapped with a robe, literally a mantle. The word indicates the mantle worn by a prophet. A robe, a mantle. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and he did homage. The story goes on. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? (laughs) I love that. What's the matter with you? Down there, I'm playing cards with my buddies. I got, what's going on? Saul answered, I'm greatly distressed, for the Philistines are waging war against me, and God has departed from me and no longer answers me, either through the prophets or by dreams. And therefore I've called you, that you may make known to me what I should do. He's looking for guidance. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary? The Lord has done accordingly as he spoke through me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, to David. As you did not obey the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath on Amalek, so the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. And then Saul immediately fell full length upon the ground and was very afraid because of the words of Samuel. Also, there was no strength in him, for he had not eaten, he had eaten no food all day and all night. There's a little more to the story, but we'll stop right there. What is going on here? Is this really Samuel? Did Samuel come up? I'll tell you what's going on here. A great deception is taking place. Now, Bible commentators are in disagreement over what's really happening. There are those who say this wasn't Samuel at all. It was a demon. 
They say it was, it was obviously a demon because when you read the context of the story, this apparition of Samuel doesn't tell Saul anything that wasn't already spoken before. There's no new information here. And they'll say it has to be a demon because, you know, people aren't raised up like this. People don't come up in ghostly form like this. It's just not right. There's only one problem with that. The Bible, the Bible says it was Samuel. <laughs> He says, Saul saw Samuel. The Bible doesn't give us any other indication. Now, I, I know I'm a little simple-minded with this kind of thing, gang. But the obvious interpretation of the Bible tends to be the right one. The literal interpretation tends to literally be correct. Again, the Bible says it was Samuel. The witch knew that it was Samuel, and it freaked her out. She shrieked. Why did she shriek? Because she was not expecting to see what she saw. She didn't expect this. She was about to do what she probably normally did, playing her little games. You know, a little flash of fire, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little voodoo magic, make, you know, make Saul or whoever this rogue character was, make him think that she was speaking to the man that he wanted to speak to. And up comes Samuel and she shrieks. And she wasn't ready for that. And she also knew that Saul was the one asking her the questions because this was Samuel. 2 Corinthians again, chapter 11, verse 15, tells us Satan's servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Now, all that said, I think it was Samuel. I think it was. I think the Lord intervened here. I think he allowed Samuel actually to come up. Because again, the simple view of the scripture is that it's Samuel being talked about. So I think he allowed it to happen. So if this was truly Samuel, where's the deception? If it really was, then, then what kind of deception is going on here at all? The deception, gang, and listen closely. The deception, don't miss this, the deception was in Saul's heart. It was with Saul's heart. What do you mean? First Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13 tells us, Saul died for his trespass, which he committed against the Lord, because of the word of the Lord, which he did not keep, and also because he asked counsel of a medium, making inquiry and did not inquire of the Lord. There's a little contradiction here. Because back in 1 Samuel 28, verse 6, it tells us that, Paul, that or Saul did inquire of the Lord. Saul did ask the Lord, but got no response. And here in 1 Chronicles 10, 14, it tells us he didn't inquire of the Lord. So which is it? Did he ask of the Lord, or did he not ask of the Lord? Which is correct? Let me put it to you this way. I can say... Good food, good meat, good Lord, let's eat. Have I inquired of the Lord? I can rattle off a prayer of rote. Have I actually sought him out? Prayer, my friends, is not words. Prayer is a walk. Prayer is not rambling. Prayer is relationship. And relationship is the point here. Saul was off base. He had no relationship. He was not functioning in a relationship to the Lord. And so his inquiries were empty words. No different than seeking a psychic and inviting deception. And 1 Corinthians 10.21 says you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Which leads us right into the last point, number three. Spiritism intercepts devotion. Spiritism intercepts devotion. Back to Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 30. Listen closely to these two verses together. A whole lot is shared here. 
God says, You shall keep my Sabbaths and revere my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or spiritists. Do not seek them out to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Do you hear the contrast? God in verse 30 says, Keep my Sabbaths. Revere my tabernacle. What's he talking about? He's talking about the time and the place of worship. He's talking about where the Israelites were to go to devote themselves completely to Him. To pour into their lives that relationship with Him. But in verse 31, contrasting that, He says, Do not turn to mediums or spiritists. You keep my Sabbath. You keep your devotion to me. Don't seek out mediums and spiritists. It will only intercept devotion. In other verse, I'll read this quickly to you. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter. Should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished, and it will turn out when they, that when they are hungry, they will be enraged. They'll curse their king and their God as they face upward. And they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. It's a perfect picture of the tribulation. Where people will stand, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, they will stand and they will shake their fists at God and they'll go, Why are you allowing this to happen? I will not believe in you. They will continue to reject and reject and reject, even when given all of the truth about who God is. Spiritism intercepts devotion. Another time when Cheryl and I were in college, our freshman year, I was in Abilene, Texas, and Cheryl was in Irvine, California. We were at two different schools trying to make this long-distance relationship thing work without email, prior to email, phone calls, high phone bills, the whole nine yards. Well, Cheryl one time called and they were having a dance on campus at her school. And yes, the pastor's wife actually asked if she could go to a dance. <laughs> no, we are talking about it. She said, hey, I, there's this dance. What do you think about this? And I said, don't go. Please. Don't go. I, I begged her not to go. I asked her not to go and she didn't. You might go, well, that's kind of jerky, Rick. No, I knew exactly what was going on on that campus. I knew there were scam artists. I knew there were sham guys. I knew there were guys out there that were just going to steal her away from me, and I did not want that to happen. (laughs) So I said, you stay away from me. In fact, don't talk to guys at all. (laughs) Unless they happen to be like an 80-year-old professor, that's okay. Unless he's not married, stay away from him too. I wanted devotion. I wanted to have that connection. I didn't want to lose her. Listen to me. The reason why God is so strong against all of this stuff is He does not want to lose you. He wants devotion. He wants connection. I can go to a palm reader and be deceived or I can pray. I can go study tarot cards or I can study the Word of God. I can listen to horoscopes or I can listen, gang, I can listen to the Holy Spirit. Learn to hear from the Lord. But let me be clear about this. The Lord says you can't do both. You can't do both. God is jealous for the affections and devotions of His creation. And He has every right to be. Because He paid for us with His blood. Because Jesus loved us so much. God so loved the world 
that He gave His only begotten Son. You know it, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's God's agenda. That's why He says any other spirit that you would listen to is a liar, is a demon, and is not to be trusted. Listen only to me. Listen only to my spirit. Romans 5.8 God demonstrates His own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Spiritism of any kind incurs defilement. It invites deception. It intercepts devotion. And gang, one more time, whether or not a Christian should read Harry Potter is so beyond beside the point. Correctly discerning the Spirit of the Lord in a spiritual world. Seeking to know and hear the voice of the Great Shepherd over the din of deceitful spirits in this world. That's the main issue. And it all comes back to Saul's problem. What's that? It was a heart problem. It was a heart problem. The deception in the story of Saul was the fact that in his heart he went after someone else. He sought answers from somewhere else. And he had a heart problem. So let me ask you this morning, where is your heart? Where's your heart? We're not playing games here. You know this, I've said it enough times, the Bible said it enough times, we're not messing around. Singing a song, nothing without you, I could hardly get through it this morning. Because that's the truth. That's the reality. I am nothing without the Lord. He is everything and He is all I've got. As Peter said... He alone has the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? What other option do we have? Who else possibly can save us? Nobody but Jesus.